Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, welcome. This is Better Make It Quick. It's the Wednesday edition of Better Than Yesterday where I, Osher Ginsburg, ask you, insert your name here, I ask you to go back and listen to an episode from a couple of years back because we've been running this show since 2013, right? When I still had to explain to people, I mean, I still have to explain to people what a podcast is, but less people these days than I did back then. And um, there's hundreds of interviews. Some of them are freaking good still. So Bree Steele, who's one of our producers here, has gone back through the archives and she's picked out some of her favorites since they were going back to listen to Mark Holden. Australian Idol just came back on air in our country. Different network, different judges except for one and um mark holden was on the first edition that i was on as well mark's a songwriter he's a record producer he's a singer he's a barrister he's a tv personality and yeah we worked on australian idol together when he was a judge and i was one of the hosts now mark came on the show in 2016 it had been a while since we'd seen each other and i but i couldn't quite remember the last time we caught up that was just after i had been axed from idol yeah and i was really raw it was a total shock to me. Yeah. And uh, I just was so raw that year and I just didn't really feel like seeing anyone. Fair enough, too. <laughs> you know? Fair enough. You know, it Fair was enough. such a shock. It Are really you okay was to a talk shock. about that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's it. Yeah. I've just talked about it. Well, it, was, like, a, it was a shock to me. It was me. a huge, shock to me huge too. Yeah. shock. It was a huge shock. Do you, what do you remember about Second cause... time I've been fired. <laughs> First time was I got a job on the 17th floor of the Motown building in 19, 1993 or something or other. Left Bank Management, they asked me to be their publishing guy. And I was a songwriter at the time, and I thought, oh, fantastic, I'd love to be a publishing guy. And that's where I learned the Peter Principle, which yeah. is you rise to your level of incompetence. So the very thing that you actually love, which is writing songs and songs, you ultimately don't do any of, <laughs> you know, and you're hustling for other people's songs, <laughs> and you really don't care about other people's songs. You really only care about your own songs. Yeah, right. But I found Mila Jovovich in that process. Wow. So, so it ended up being good. But they, in the end, after a year, they fired me, and that was an enormous relief. I walked out of there going, oh, God, thank God. Yeah. The, I was on the 17th floor and... Uh, Which city is this? In Los Angeles. In Los Angeles. Of the Motown building on Sunset there. And what I would do is I'd get in there, because you had to get in there on Tuesdays and Fridays at 7 a.m. for the big group meeting. Uh-huh. And I did it the first Tuesday and did it the first Friday. I thought, you mean you do this every bloody week for the rest of your life? <laughs> Holy shit. Yeah, right. So I used to go in there. I'd do a circle of, because it was the whole floor, and I'd do a, a round of the whole building, make sure everybody saw me. Then I'd duck out down the um, fire escape and go home and then come back about four and come back the same way and do another walk around. <laughs> I hated it. I couldn't bear being in a job, just just an office. A desk job. 
office, you know, somebody having authority over you, yeah. having to be somewhere at a certain time. That's yeah. why the barrister life is great. But that was a good firing. This one was, I was numb. I, 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 I walked out of there going, what the fuck just happened? Because cause they owed me it. They just signed me for two years. It was an extraordinary experience. And it was a deep, it was a profound shock because all I'd ever done was music and, yeah. and uh, all, all I'd ever been was in the music table. Yeah. And then I was out of that. I'd lost Vanessa, Joel had fired me. I had not, no music to work on, mm. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So it was an ex- it was a real Debbie Downer moment. It really yeah. was. I was pretty down. Your kids that. had just started at uh, MLC, if I'm not mistaken. She'd been there for a while, yeah. yeah. Here's the beautiful twist of life. Yeah. Here's where life gets super-duper magic. I always loved Monty. I mean, you know, even though he fired me up. David Monty is the, yeah, uh, pro- at the time the programmer of... Yeah, uh, yeah. Of Monty's a lovely guy and I just drank a bottle of Grange with my brother that he gave me in 2003. <laughs> <laughs> Over Christmas time, I thought, you know, yeah. I'm not waiting any longer, I'm drinking yeah, it now. Yeah. And uh, my daughter, who Katie, who at that time, what's it, 2008, she would have been uh, 13, yeah. 12 or 13. Two weeks ago, she pitched a format at Monty. <laughs> which he loved and had a second meeting. That's great. And there's the small wonder of the universe right there. Yeah. So anyway, look, anyway, it was, that, was a, that was a bummer. After, I took a year off. I licked my wounds. We went to America for my wife's, I think it was 40th or 50th, 50th maybe. Say 40th. Yeah, say 40th. Yeah, say 40th. Well said, well played. Yeah. And came back and thought, well, you know what, I, I don't know what to do. I think I'll, I had a law degree. It took me 30 years to get my law degree. 1971 I started. I graduated in 2001. And uh, then I went back uh, in 2009. So I took 2008 off. 2009 I went to Leo Cousins and did my practical training mm. and got admitted to practice over there in the Supreme Court. And then immediately, I was so lucky, I applied for the reader's course here at the bar. And it was a three-year wait. They only take 50. And, uh, and then somebody dropped out and I got in. So I went straight from being admitted to practice to the barrister's course, which I jumped into. And uh, it was just awesome. It's just, it was actually, it's right at where you came in in that hall. At the yeah. other end there, there's the yeah. mood rooms. and Because the, yeah. the bar teaches itself uh, with judges and barristers wow. teach the barrister's course. And uh, so it ended up being what was ultimately, a, you know, a dreadful negative, although wonderful. When I full, when the full realization that, in the end, in the fullness of time, now I only look on, on it with joy. Yeah. And you know, you, you two guys, you know, Matheson, what a legend he is. You know. Yeah, I really, I really miss you. You know, I really uh, going on tour was an oblivion of of, <laughs> of destroying bars with Padian money, but. Um, I really enjoyed, very much enjoyed the conversations you and I used to have in the morning. We had, you know, we had, we had good it. conversations. No, I loved, I loved it. It was, it was, you know, it was such a tremendous experience because everybody was at there playing at the highest level. Yeah, absolutely. And the quality of the production, yeah. the quality of the camera people, the editors, the lighting. Yeah, we had the best of the best. We really had the best yeah. of the best. And, and we had the best of the best, I think, you know, even relative to the world, having seen it in Europe and, yeah. and, and Germany. I and, agree. And there was nothing that, that they were doing that we weren't doing as yeah. well or better. And that was a privilege. I mean, doing Vanessa on Top of the Pops in England, Top of the Pops in Germany, and seeing the inside of the BBC and seeing how that worked. I, I went away from it going, you know what, <laughs> Bert Newton on a 
on a Friday morning from 9 to 11, whatever it was, yeah. you know, the quality of that production was the equal of anything. Right. You know, it was. Yeah, yeah. It was people working at the top of their game as we, as we had. Every level of person that worked on our show, from you guys who were front of house, to everyone, mm. the, you know, the Emma, I think about, remember Emma and how, how into it she was and she'd be crying if she didn't get the right story or mm. if she'd missed something. Yeah, or, uh, the story producers, I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, that just every level of person was totally yeah. into it. Leaving Australian Idol was a huge change for Holden and I, I wanted to know what he'd learned about himself after leaving Idol. Oh, I don't know that I learned anything about myself, uh, yeah. really. I just, I, well, I learned how much I cared about it, I guess. Yeah, I, right. I certainly learned how much I cared about it. Yeah. But in the fullness of time, what I've learned is that ultimately it ended up opening a door that I wouldn't have otherwise opened, which is this door yeah. at the bar. And, you know, because I was 55, I had talked to my older friends, my 70-year-old friends, my 80-year-old friends, and they all said 55 is too young to stop doing things. And if I'd gone on another two years and been 57 or 50, whatever, I might have just gone, well, that's it, I'm done. Mm. Thank you very much. You know, I'm going to spend my money now. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to spend my nest eggs. But instead, at 55 and having had that shock of kind of self-esteem, bash to the head. Um, and in a very public way. In a very public yeah. way. I had the impetus to actually try something else. Yeah. And then this other thing happened. Yeah. And being at the bar has been an enormous privilege. I love it. It's, it's not unlike being a manager or something because you're fighting for something or someone, yeah. mainly fighting for someone, and not always fighting for someone that's particularly pleasant, but, you know, but, but you're fighting for somebody, and it's just been fantastic. Yeah. I've made some really good friends here, and just being a part of the Victorian legal system is amazing. I mean, it's, it's, it's evolved over a long period of time. There's an ARC court here, which is, you know, for people with emotional disability so that the magistrate comes down and sits at the bar table. There's a Koori court. There's, there's a drug court. I've done a at the drug court in Dandenong, you know, for a princely sum of $120, you know. It's not a... Barristering is not a way to make a lot of money. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's not. Most barristers, I think, would... You know, there's 2,000 barristers in um, Victoria, and I'd say the majority earn under 70 grand a year, under 50 grand a year. So what's... Hang on. So there's so much I want to talk to you about, but yeah. let's just figure out. So the, I, I know what a judge is, and I get very confused with the Australian legal system, especially because Gigi, the Audrey's kid, watches a lot of... Uh, American stuff. The law and order. Yeah. So I get very confused with yeah. the Australian legal system. Yes. Well, it's not that dissimilar. The only difference is in, in Victoria, in Australia, you can you can appear in, well, the solicitors and barristers. You're all Australian lawyers, but there's solicitors and barristers. Solicitors can do barristers' work, but barristers can't do solicitors' work. So barristers are supposed to be the guys and girls. There's a 50% women here That's fantastic. That's fantastic. It's, it's, yeah, it's big. And Daniel Andrews has said that 50% of the of the bench needs to be women. He's made that a thing, so it's, but still, it's not ethnically any different. Yeah. That's interesting. That's another issue. Yeah. But anyway, where do we get to a lawsuit? Oh, I was asking you the role. So solicitors oh, can't oh, so solicitors, do... Solicitors, solicitors, so, so, means, so solicitors can go into a courtroom? Solicitors can go into... Well, solicitors generally always go into a courtroom, but they do it as an instructor. Mm -hmm. So in criminal matters, I have to be instructed by a solicitor. Okay. I have to be... And my client is a solicitor, not the defendant. Uh. So the, the solicitor hires me as a barrister. But solicitors in the magistrate's court, in a lot of courts, solicitors can appear without a barrister. So okay. When I first went to the bar, I was getting a lot of legal aid work uh, because 
it existed then and it's been the Liberal state Liberal government slashed it and then oh. the Labor government promised that they were going to put it back and they haven't. And so a lot of there's a lot of legal aid that's been slashed. But I used to do that to sit mm. outside. I'd find myself in a Dandenong magistrate's court defending a guy in an, in an assault on his heroin dealer. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and you know, I'd be defending him and I'd say, mate, why don't you just plead on this one? He'd say, no, mate, I've got another one in 24 hours. I need, I need to run the court, but on this one. <laughs> I mean, you know, guys that... Everybody deserves a defence. Is the point. yeah right? Everybody deserves a defence. But so you're the one that argues the case. Argues the case. Okay. Argues the case. Right. And, so would you say and there's a lot of pleadings in that too? There's yeah. now a lot of this. I've, I, if you'd asked me in 2007 when I was drinking red at the end of the show and clowning with everybody, <laughs> um, would I ever be capable of doing what I'm doing now? Which is you know intense pleadings. Yeah. Which are you know. Fi- 30 pages, 20 pages, 50 pages of legalese yeah. setting out the case, which is what you have to do in, not necessarily in crime so much, but even with crime, you do yeah. submissions, you know, you do submissions on law and all that sort of thing. But in civil and, and in copyright, I've done some copyright matters, you know, that there's a lot of dense pleadings mm. and that sort of paperwork, I couldn't not have imagined I'd get any joy out of, mm. that I'd be interested in. <laughs> and, and it is, it's fantastic, I love it. We need to take an ad break here at the show. We, do, we pay the people that work here, so we've got to play some ads. Back in a moment with Money Mark Holden. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. You may not know this, but Mark Holden in Australia, he was a teen idol in the 70s. He's also an Australian idol judge. But Mark actually found his most notable career success in the US. That's where he got the nickname Money Mark. My line that I use for that now is that I started out as Justin Bieber and I've ended up as Bert Newton. That's my, that's my line for that. Hey, that's right. <laughs> you know, you're still getting laid. It's fine. Um, you know, and then there was a time you were on the, you were on the Young Doctors. Yes, you The Young in, Butchers was fantastic. You were I actor. did The Young Butchers with um, Hogan. He had it on a Hogan show. <laughs> we did a stand-up of it called The Young Butchers. Yeah. And it was, you remember the SNL one where they used to chop everything and the, and the arms would spurt? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hogs did that in 1970, uh-huh. whatever it was, uh, with The Young Doctors called The Young Butchers. I, I played his assistant, <laughs> The Young Butcher. <laughs> <laughs> well, I loved it. It was fantastic. I, I was doing Joseph's Technicolor Dreamcoat at that time. Yeah. And I was the first Joseph in the world. It was the first show outside of a school that had run the musical because they yep. had a hit with Superstar and then they said, what else you got? And they had Joseph. Yeah. So we did it in Australia and I was, I, I was Joseph. And I would go to sleep 
at sort of three or four in the morning or something like that, having played cards with John Paul Young, the guy called Joe Dicker. We'd go to Joe Dicker's house in Neutral Bay and, and we'd smoke and drink till, you know, whatever. Yeah. And then I'd, might, I'd maybe get an hour's sleep and the cab driver would knock on, had a, every morning would knock on my door and wake me up and they'd dump me in the chair in um, Nilsons Point Road where the, where the studio was. Yeah. I'd be Is that asleep. Crawford? Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, it was no, it was yeah. Grundy. Grundy. It was, he bought an old warehouse, and yeah. turned it into you know as a smart man. And I'd be asleep in the makeup chair. <laughs> if you got through the dress rehearsal where you said the words, they moved on. <laughs> it was quality. fantastic. It was quality, quality, it was quality, quality. stuff. There was, was a point though when your career took you overseas. What was the yes. point when you went? I'm, I'm going to have to go. I just was repeating, and uh, oh really? And yeah, I was repeating, and the music wasn't all that good. And I, I, I had a, a real desire to make good music. And uh, what I was doing was, was not the kind of... I mean, did you see the Alberts show on telly? Was, oh, I was, I've been away. I just moved oh back from God, LA in November. It's, it's mind-blowing. Yeah. I, I mean, given that I was coming up in that time, I couldn't have imagined what I was up against. Mm. I was up against Ted Albert and Harry Vander and George, George, George Young. I was up against that and FIFA Riccobono and, and this extraordinary team of visionaries yeah. and genius mm. and coming from an R&B rock point. You know, I mean, that's what I was up against and all the power of, of Alberts and, and just that everybody loved everything they did. And I was this little poppet, you mm. know, I was this little poppet that was choosing my own songs, really didn't know what I was doing. And uh, I, I can't imagine how I sold... 200,000 albums <laughs> but I did somehow or, other, somehow or other but the music wasn't great I knew it wasn't great I loved pop music I had to come to the to the realisation not long after that that my voice was never going to be what John Paul Young's was John Paul Young's voice now I mean did you hear him sing little Evie parts one and two at, the, at, at his funeral at his funeral um, I mean he's an amazing singer to this day he's still a great Great singer, yeah. or a Glenn Shorrock, right. who's an extraordinary singer. Just the sound, or a Vanessa. Yeah. Just the sound of their voices is brilliant. You can listen to their voice full stop. I never had that. And so I was never going to be a radio artist. And America at that time, when I went over, there was all radio. Video hadn't hit. So I was never going to make it. I came to that realisation, thankfully, and moved into songwriting. Yeah. But, I, but my quest was to write something good. I wanted to write good songs, good, make good music. You wrote for some huge names. I did, there. I did. I, my, I guess my proudest moment was The Temptations and uh, I, I meditated for a year and I read every Carl Jung book. And, uh, <laughs> what kind of meditation? TM? TM, yeah, yeah, TM. Do you still do it? Uh, not really, no. I mean, I have occasionally I do it. No, um, uh, I know that's terrible, but but uh, I have, at different times I will go back and, mm. and meditate, but I took a whole year off and just cleared cleaned myself out and this song appeared in my head and it was My Lady Soul and it was really a Jungian thing about the male singing to the female in, in themselves but the Billboard Book of Songwriting called it a, you know, extraordinary black lyric. <laughs> yeah, it was not. It was just like intense. White kids from Adelaide. From Adelaide. <laughs> Jungian <laughs> self-analysis, you know. But, but um, it just had magic around it. And it went to number four. It's on the Motown Greatest Hits second collection. And, and it's on, of course, The Empress of Soul, which is the... And I ended up having two hits with attempts. And just being a part of that was so life-affirming. And the music was so good. And, and the vocals. Uh, I, I worked with two different 
lead singers, uh, Ali Oli Woodson and uh, I can't remember the last name. The other guy wasn't all that great. He sang the second song that went, went into the top ten but didn't blow me away. It was a constructed song. Uh, Look What You Started, it's called. But, but Lady Soul, which was 100% me, Ali, as it turns out, what I heard was that uh, he only did two passes. He was in the car on the, on the crack pipe. And he would come in and just do two passes and then leave. That was it. And they'd rotate the singers tour to tour because they would have to straighten up because they'd be broke. And then the other one would be, you know, gone off his nut. So he'd go wild for a year and spend the money from the last tour. Oh, my God. And the other guy would come in and replace him. And that was the scene that was wild. But, but when you're hearing somebody sing in that place, when they're in this, and they're, but they've also got extraordinary control. Yeah. And they use all that madness to focus and to pull pain out of their deepest soul. It's an extraordinary experience when you to have, be in the room. When you, have, that, you know? when you have someone like that, the Temptations and, you know, the power of Motown as a record yeah. label going, yes, you, well, this is Harry happening. Gordy chose the song. He heard my demo. I made the demo myself, Wow. I, which I rarely do. Yeah. I actually physically made the demo myself. I had a little Tito Gate track and I made the little beat with the little Roland beat machine mm. and I played the little keyboard thing and sit, sang all the bits and, mm. and he heard my little crappy, little shitty, little Tiat 8-track. For we, when someone like that validates you, specifically after leaving yes. Australia as you did, yes. were you able to take that validation on? Yes, absolutely. Oh, no, no, no. It was deeply soul-affirming. Yeah. It was life-affirming. I, I tell Katie that, you know, that life is magic and that there are magic moments and, and that you, you will go. And I tried to, con- I tried to give this to Vanessa too, that, that, that she, I don't think she really necessarily totally took it on, but there, there are waves and trials. Yeah. And, you know, when you're in the wave, be cheery and be, but know that there's a trough coming. Yeah. And, but, but once you've gone through a trough and got to the, another wave, yeah. then it, ta- it has less fear and you can ride out the troughs yeah. and, and you know what you've got to do and you can take those times to either change course or, or dig deeper or whatever it is that, you know, wherever your, you know, radar sets you to go. Is that why you're still able to do what you do? Because you're able to go through those yes. oscillations? Yes, I think so. If you want to check out our full conversation, and I thoroughly recommend it, Mark's a, a cracking human being and, and always is a delight to work with every day. Uh, you can find him in episode 120 on this podcast feed. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks, Rachel Barrett, for being executive producer of everything. Bree Steele for researching and producing this episode. Andy Marr on audio and video post, and you for listening. Tell your friends about the show, and I'll see you Friday. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com